welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's podcast guest, Stephanie Campisi, who will be talking with us about her wonderful new book, Quacks Like a Duck. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, Carla. It's such a joy to have you. So before we launch into Quacks Like a Duck, Mm -hmm. tell our listeners a little bit about what makes you the most wonderful you that you are. Sleep and coffee, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sleep and coffee, those are good starters. I'm my worst me without those things. Uh, (laughs) Well, I suppose as you can tell from my accent, I'm not a, you know, I didn't grow up in the US. I am Australian born. I was raised there, went to university there. And I moved to the US in 2014, mostly because the time differences between Australia and the US were too difficult. No, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) The opportunity presented itself. So I moved over and I've been having a wonderful time. I'm currently based in Eastern Tennessee. Throughout my travels, I've been collecting interesting stories and overheards and snippets and turning them into books. Ah, wonderful. So I understand that before you were in Tennessee, you were in California. Yes. And then prior to that, I was in Washington. And prior to that, I was in Oregon. So I've lived in quite a few states and I think I've traveled to almost half of them now. I'm working on the rest. Oh, nice. 25 to go. I know. A lot more than in Australia. We don't have that many states. (laughs) And it's such a vast country. You would... It is, it is. It's a, a lot of traveling, very few states, yes. So which which area you've been in feels most like Australia to you? Oh, if there's it. such a possibility. Excellent question. So I would have to say California, mostly because you have all of the gum trees, the eucalyptus trees, which are obviously native to Australasia. So every time I'm there and I see those, it feels like home. Uh, I was in San Francisco once and they had a bottle brush tree, which you might have to Google it, but that's native to Australia. It's the one with the red, the red, we have some and the hummingbirds love them where they're red, almost like a bottle brush, but it's red, very feathery. Absolutely. So so a lot of the, you you know, the climate is quite similar. So a lot of the flora that's native to Australia thrives in California. Uh, there are also a lot of Australians in California. I didn't know <laughs> that. So we can we can go and get a meat pie together. So, um, so it definitely feels a bit like home. It does. Okay. And a meat pie. All right. And so we need meat pies, some kangaroos and some koala bears and we might. Absolutely. And we're pretty much there. Okay. (laughs) So you are an author. Mm -hmm. So what, what brought you into being an author? Why, what, was that something from early childhood or something that came to you later in life? That's such a fabulous question. So I think reading and writing is how I make sense of the world. And I think it's so true for so many people, even if you're not necessarily an author, but you journal or you write letters, things like that. I think as a fairly shy bookish child, it was a way of me being able to speak uninterrupted. 
and gather gather my thoughts. My thoughts are usually fairly scattered. So <laughs> writing them down definitely helps me make sense of them. I love that comment. It's just so beautiful. Reading and writing is how I make sense of the world. It's just, that's so eloquent and it makes perfect sense. I guess I imagine I make sense of the world in a similar way, but yes. Okay. That's beautiful. And I just want to, you know, I'm thinking for a minute when we look at the familiar habits, the 10 habits of a healthy family, and I'll just say a few of them, love together, play together, learn together, work together, talk together, heal together. Okay. I'm saying them all read together, eat together, laugh together, give together. When you look at those and you're saying, essentially, your reading and your writing helps you bring some of those components to life in your body, your mind, and your spirit, so to speak. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. I was actually looking at those on the back of one of my books the other day, and I was looking at the recurring motifs that shine through because I have several books out through Familius, and mine tend to be love together, laugh together, play together. And so it's really interesting to see that's clearly the lens that I personally see the world through. And I'd be so curious to see how different familiar authors, how their books overlap in terms of those habits. But, but absolutely, I think that's so true. It, and it's interesting in my journey as being a co-host of the podcast, I keep, you know, my notes from the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I love looking at the notes and what the authors send in as I'm getting to know them before the podcast and seeing how many things are so similar. Mm -hmm. And it's generally values like kindness, love, doing good for the world, family, being really connected. I haven't yet had a guest who said, my top priority is money. And <laughs> whoa, what a nice breath, what a breath of fresh air. <laughs> so yes, it's, it is really beautiful that there is something that brings people to Familius because it is, that, it is that energy of let's create books that help make the world a better place. Absolutely. And I feel like that is infused throughout the entire company. Everyone you speak to, all of the authors, I feel like all of the authors are friends. We all chat chat mm -hmm. with each other and share our books around. And I feel like it's a very close-knit circle. And the, the Familiar's publishing team as well. And you can absolutely feel those values shining, mm -hmm. obviously, in the books that are published as well. And I think that's why we gravitated towards Familiar's, because you feel yourself there. Yes. This is where I'm meant to be. Yes. And it's, it, and the energy, the energy is very loving, very inclusive mm -hmm. and very family oriented. So I have another question for you. When you look at your books and we think about your journey where you emigrated from Australia, here you are and your immigrant experience, mm -hmm. I imagine that experience is a big part of of your lens. That's an imagining. Is it? Is that a big part of why you write? Yes, absolutely. It's It's been really interesting, my perspective on Australia and being an Australian and what that identity is now that I'm elsewhere. And I feel like that's what's so important about just travel generally or experiencing new places and new experiences. Once you get outside that familiar bubble of comfort, you you have a different lens through which to see that and understand it. So it's it's been really interesting. You know, I've been here, I mean, almost half my adult life now, but obviously those formative years are very important. And I'm I almost feel like I'm in this in-between place. So I'm 
not quite Australian anymore. I've been in the US almost 10 years, although my parents do send me Vegemite quite frequently. (laughs) Okay, wait, pause for a second. Do you actually eat Vegemite? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yes. That's how we keep our B vitamins up. My, my favorite thing, obviously my, my new book, I won't give any, give any spoilers yet, but it's quite Australian. So I've been taking Vegemite to the U S schools and having brave souls try it. And it's always hilarious. So it doesn't, it's not very tasty. It's awful. I have to be honest. It's awful. <laughs> I think it's something you have to grow up with. And I think you have to approach it knowing that it's not Nutella. I think that's where you get in trouble. You expect it to be Nutella and it is the opposite of Nutella. (laughs) I remember because I heard about it in a song. So I wanted to taste Vegemite and I was was taken aback. Yes, it's uh, very, very salty. It's it's kind of like eating solidified soy sauce. Um, There you have it. There you have it. Solidified soy sauce that has gone a bit rancid. I'm joking. Fine, that's more for us. So it's okay. I guess I won't start my Vegemite import business then. I don't know if there's a market. So. <laughs> oh, so I'm so sorry. That was a wonderful aside. Now everyone can go and Google Vegemite, please. Google Vegemite. All right. So I'm sorry. So back to your to your topic. <laughs> I'm going to send some in the post for you. Thank you. We'll have a a taste off. Yes. I'll put it on my Christmas tree. Absolutely. And you could send me something horribly American that will make me cringe. Oh, I wouldn't want, I would send you, what would I send you? I don't want to send you anything cringe worthy. I would probably send you C's candy. Oh, yes. I mean, that's that's quite tasty though. It's t- quite tasty. I can't think of anything and I can't think of anything awful to send you. I'm sorry. I have a controversial one. Okay. Hershey's chocolate. Hershey's chocolate. I grew up in Pennsylvania and we would visit the town of Hershey and their street fixtures, the street light fixtures were, I don't know if they're still this way, they were Hershey chocolates, the shape of Hershey chocolates. Oh, there you go. They really committed to the bit. Didn't they, they were very committed. So maybe, well, no, I'll think of something to send you. Oh, anyway, oh. moving forward, oh. um, I could chat with you for hours about <laughs> things that have nothing to do with our podcast, but they are about love and they are about connection. Mm-hmm. And isn't that interesting when you find when we're, you know, talking about books, when you mm-hmm. find these little curiosities, whether it's Vegemite or somebody, somebody might think, what is C's candy, right? What is this? And you start talking, that is the essence of relationship when we can take a topic and start dissecting. And that's what I love about being a, a podcast co-host mm-hmm. is that you can meet someone and then just start having a chatter like you're sitting down to tea with them or on an airplane with a complete stranger. And yes. that is what books do for us as well, I believe. And you're the master at it with all of the books under your belt, but are they conversation starters? Do you see them as conversation starters? Yes, absolutely. Because I mean, different people can approach the same book, but nobody's ever going to approach it in the same way. We all have different backgrounds. We've all read different things. We're in different moods when we're reading the book. So I feel like even the kids that I speak with during school visits all take such different things from a, one particular book. It's wonderful. I mean, that's that's what I love about literature. So you visit schools with your books in the U.S.? Is that part of what you do now? 
Absolutely. It is so much fun. Uh, I mostly travel around to schools here. I'm in rural Eastern Tennessee. So in a lot of cases, I'm the first author that the kids here have met. And so it's wonderful. So And so when I was growing up in Australia, I had an author come to visit my school when I was in grade six. And for me, that was the moment when I realized this is something that I can do, that normal people do. Authors aren't just dead people. (laughs) Because, you know, we stopped reading the classics. Australian children's literature is much more robust now. But at the time, it wasn't really. We read a lot of the old school British classics. And so I had this perception of authors as not really existing. And so when that author came to visit my school, I realized that, oh, normal people just create books. That's where they come from. Mm -hmm. And so being able to go around to these schools now and chat with kids and show them that I'm just some normal person who is their neighbor. I live in the next town and I'm creating books and they can do it too. All they need is a pen and a Ah. paper and an imagination and off they go. And so I, I really love that about it. I think it opens up a, a possibility for them. Absolutely. And so in your work doing, do you have, let me ask, do you have children of your own? I do. I have a three-year-old. And he's you have a three-year-old. Endless inspiration, yes. I was just going to ask. So did he happen to inspire Quacks Like a Duck? He was not around at that time. Quacks has been a little bit of time in the making, but... I do have a book in the works that hopefully will be on shelves eventually that was absolutely inspired by my son. So he uses a lot of vehicle metaphors. He's really into trucks and vehicles. So I have a, a little book in the works that is inspired by uh, I have to ask, what is his favorite vehicle? Wow, oh, he loves cement mixes, mm-hmm. garbage trucks, and school buses. So Usually on a Thursday morning, a school bus followed by a garbage truck goes down our street and it is the toddler jackpot. So that's the highlight of our week. The highlight. And the cement mixers, my son would call them mix and turns. Oh, well, that's a new one. I Mama, love there goes a mix and turn. There goes a mix and turn. My oh. favorite are the ginormous. Your son and I would get on very well. I like the big, heavy equipment, like the super big dump trucks and excavators. And yes. 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 They're very impressive. They're they are very impressive. impressive. I shall <laughs> one day go visit the Caterpillar Museum. And where are we all? There we go. I actually have a gift certificate to visit it. I'm so enamored by Caterpillar. Look up a Caterpillar 797, mind you. If you want to see the dump truck of all dump trucks. Yes, your son would love that. Anyway, so (laughs) again, this is the kind of conversation that books stimulate. And I also imagine in your work that you've probably being somebody who's you know, come from another country, made a new home in America, that belonging and acceptance might be big pieces for you. Do your books somehow create more of a sense of belonging and acceptance in your life? So I hope they do, because that's definitely a theme that is, you know, resonates throughout all of my books. People always come up to me and they're like, what's the common thread on your books? And I always think, oh, that is a question for my shrink. But (laughs) absolutely, almost all of my books are about an outsider or somebody who feels that they're an outsider trying to fit in and find their place in the world. And that's obviously, it's not a conscious thing, but it's obviously something that I'm thinking about on some level. Uh, And it tends to keep coming through as a common thread in my books. So I hope so. I hope they make people feel like they belong somewhere or perhaps being a little bit less alone in the world. I have a, 
another question from that. Have you ever felt that you didn't belong and that you weren't accepted? Oh, yes. I think we all have. I feel like it hasn't been a lifelong thing. I feel like it's one of those things like, you know, the notion of happiness where it's nothing that you can achieve 100% forever, but it kind of ebbs and flows. So there'll be moments where you might feel down or personally, obviously, I might feel down or a little bit on the outside, but then something will happen and, and you'll engage with some friends or a family member or just a nice person that you're chatting to at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And you realize that you're not alone, that there are all these people around you happy to connect. So it's definitely something that's kind of fleeting. It comes and goes, but when you do feel that way, you really feel that way. You feel it in your bones. When you were a transplant from Australia to the U.S. and then in all of those very various states from mm-hmm. Washington to Oregon, California, now in te- Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel as though you didn't belong or do you carry your belonging with you in general? Oh, that's a very good question. I think kind of like my previous answer, there were definitely moments where I don't know that it wasn't that I, I felt like I didn't belong. I think it was more that I didn't feel like I had the connections. Mm. And so obviously when I arrived, it was just me by myself. I knew no one. So it was, it was kind of like a sink or swim situation. And I'm, fortunately, I'm a good swimmer. <laughs> there, were, there were absolutely some hard moments, but I think I just had to put myself out there. I had to actively go around and meet people. And you know, I'm, I'm fortunate I come from a country that's generally positively received and I'm fairly extroverted. So I'll, I'll go up and talk to people and I have an, an accent that some, well, at least some people find charming. I don't know if everyone does, but but that's that's definitely helped as well. So I, think I find it charming. So I'm sure that being a bit of a novelty helps. Yes. (laughs) So you came over without a partner. You were completely on your own. Well, I, I had a partner at the time, but he was back in Australia. So it was just me. And then it, then it continued being just me. So yeah, it was not how I anticipated it going, but it all worked out. Things it all worked, worked out. out. Now you have a three-year-old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So absolutely no complaints. It's been, it's been a wonderful journey. Excellent. So I have another question for you, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. I understand that you are somewhat of an expert on social emotional learning. For our listeners, can you describe what that is and how you bring it to life in your work? Absolutely. So perhaps not an expert, but just a layperson. <laughs> <laughs> But in my mind, it's basically helping kids learn how to get along with each other, mm-hmm. make friends, create healthy relationship dynamics, and learn to exist alongside each other in the world. Excellent. And so through your books, let's just, let's dive into, we'll use Quacks Like a Duck mm-hmm. as an example. Okay. So if you would please, for our listeners, just give us a brief overview of Quacks Like a Duck and then how Quacks Like a Duck can facilitate social-emotional learning. Yeah, absolutely. So Quacks Like a Duck is brand new. It's a new release. Uh, It features words by me and art by Maria Lebediva. And it's not actually about a duck. It is about Petunia the platypus who shows up to her very first party in the U.S. Petunia is obviously Australian. She doesn't realise that it's a costume party. All of the other animals are dressed in costume and they assume that Petunia is as well. They've never seen a platypus before. They have no idea what she is. They think she's a duck. So so everybody in the book 
trying to figure out what she's meant to be. So some people have read it as a bullying kind of book, but I don't think it is so much. I think it's more about encountering somebody that, or from you know, perhaps from a background that you are unfamiliar with or who comports themselves in a way that you're not familiar with or who might just be a little bit of, I guess, a platypus out of water. Yes, different. Exactly. Someone and how different. engage with that person and learn to get along with them. So poor Petunia, she does have a happy ending. A, a duck beaver plat, a duck beaver otter trio show up and show her that she too is a, a, a wonderful platypus. So. so I would take from that me personally that mm-hmm. maybe a, a key takeaway social emotional learning lens mm-hmm. is authenticity. Mm-hmm. How to, you know, embrace your truth, know who you are, stand in your truth and not need to dress up. And you can just be yourself, even if you go to a costume party without the tiara on or whatever you're the mask. As Petunia says, she says, I'm not anything. I'm just me. I'm just and, me. And I think the corollary of that is that, you know, we also need to maybe not necessarily judge others when we don't know their situation or who they are. You can engage them in a positive way rather than just judging them at face value. I like that. And you're also making me think of how sometimes we want to label everything. Mm-hmm. We want to put something in a box so that we are comfortable knowing what is this, what's that person's name, let me identify, and that sometimes it's okay in fact, probably most of the time, just to allow mm-hmm. somebody to be themselves that we don't have to put them in a box. Absolutely. And then listen to them and how they want to define themselves. Yes. They might have differences about their identity and they're the expert in themselves and their identity. So we can let, we can let them do that rather than applying those labels. Absolutely. And it also sounds like it's a story about inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's, it's it has a happy ending. Everybody gets along in the end. Uh, I just, like happy endings. I like happy endings. <laughs> but it also, been, sorry? Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it's actually been a really fun one to bring into schools here in the US. I bring along fairy bread is included in the book and fairy bread is a, a kind of a party food that we have in Australia and also in New Zealand. So teachers have been making that for the kids in their classroom and we've, so we've kind of been sharing a little meal together as we read this book and it's been an exposure to something that might be a little bit unusual or different and so it's kind of like a fun way to kind of like we know into that story fairy bread this is new to me. What oh. is fairy bread, please? It's I shall much, have to Google. Much more palatable than Vegemite. Okay. It is white bread with butter and well, I call them hundreds and thousands, but in the US they're called sprinkles. So the rainbow sprinkles. Oh. And then the only rule is you have to cut it into triangles because it tastes better. Oh, it tastes better. So white <laughs> bread with butter and sprinkles. Yeah, or and they're called thousand and ones, hundreds and thousands, <gasps> hundreds and thousands. There are hundreds and thousands of them in it. Oh, I love that. Okay, fairy bread, it is. Great <laughs> fairy bread together. We can all get along. Yep. <laughs> so that, that is beautiful. And I just love now, there's a book for you, Fairy Bread. Oh, that would be delightful. Wouldn't that be delightful? Just the sprinkles. I love all of those little dots. I mean, they make the world a happier place. Just the dots. They make the world happier. (laughs) What could literally just be a triangular book with just dots on it, colorful dots? Dots on it. (laughs) The world's problems could be solved if we would all only eat fairy bread and just make the world a happier place. (laughs) 
be climbing the walls from all the sugar, but you know. from all the sugar and, and, and the butter might not be so good, but hey, a little butter always good for the soul. So back to the social emotional learning piece. And I keep trying to make it a serious podcast, but this podcast, I'm sorry, listeners, it just does not want to be a serious podcast. This wants to be a light and fairy dusted podcast. And we'll go with that. So the social emotional learning piece, when we look at you know, really taking that to heart again mm-hmm. about inclusivity, mm-hmm. about feeling how we can take a book into a classroom, sitting with a child, reading it to him or her at bedtime, and just really using books and that richness to create connection. Is that one of the key ways that you that you like to write is to create that connection and that sense of belonging? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm increasingly aware of it now. Obviously, I read with my son every night. And mm-hmm. so, and throughout the day as well, he's a bit of an avid reader. And absolutely, we explore different situations and we connect to each other. Like, you know, we're there on the bed together, all snuggled up and it's a safe moment and a safe environment. And it's a great way to explore new topics or he might ask questions or just to work through things that might be a little bit difficult. I mean, not my little guy, he's a little bit young, but as he's getting, as he gets older, I think you know, we, there are going to be hard topics, you know, he'll, will move house or he might start a new school or there are going to be things that might be a little bit scary or a little bit unfamiliar and books are a really safe way to explore those things, particularly if you're with a trusted adult who can help you work through them. Absolutely. And as you were talking, the picture that was coming to my mind, you know, you and your son sitting on the bed, that you're actually laying the foundation for him to have open, wide ranging conversations in a way that feels safe and natural. And so if you have that happening between you now, as those difficult topics come Mm -hmm. up, as he faces something, you know, sees somebody being bullied or something that doesn't feel fair, right? It'll be just natural for him to come to and say, mom, what's this about? Or I'm worried about this. So you already have that platform by using books to set the stage. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so anyway. And I mean, books can be metaphors as well. So, you know, in Quacks Like a Duck, we have Petunia going to her party, but that applies in so many different situations where you're the new person in an unfamiliar situation. And so that can apply to kids in so many different experiences throughout their lives. Uh, and, and books generally can do that as well. I mean, we all bring ourselves to a book in the reading. So we all take what we need from it. And adults, adults as well. I really like that piece about reading to your children, that there are many times when I'm reading a book And I'm getting as much out of it as the person reading, as the person who I'm reading to. In fact, absent a child, I would probably read to my dog. In fact, that's actually a really good idea. I should read to my dog. And and he would, social emotional learning. But it is that piece where when we use books, again, back, back to the part about connection. Mm-hmm. And when we're connecting with a child, we're also connecting, I believe, to those lost parts of ourselves mm-hmm. or those thirsty parts of the self. And sometimes children's books do it for us in a way that the more the 500 page books is just a bit too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, give me a nice pa- children's book with 10 pages or 20 pages. Sometimes that is perfect. 
It's just the lesson you need. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like picture books give us permission to be kids again. And I feel like that's one of the joys of being a picture book author. I feel like you're never too old for a picture book. I have a very robust picture book collection that is meant to be for my son, but is actually largely for me. And I know so many other adults who are doing the same thing. They're collecting picture books for themselves. And I think because they're they're so simple and truthful and honest. And sometimes, yeah, they are. They're like balm for the soul. They have beautiful illustrations. They're they're gorgeous and they speak to you. And they speak to that little part of yourself that maybe you haven't given permission to come out and speak. And they allow you to go back there. Absolutely. So I love that. And yes, and I I agree with you about the picture book collections. I have picture books from when I was a kid and when my kids for kids and they're some of my favorite books in the world so and you're right I love how you said they're honest and they're simple they're just they're they're pure Mm -hmm. they're pure in a way that they don't have a whole lot of fluff that we have to weed through to get the salient (laughs) message (laughs) thank goodness for editors yes (laughs) thank goodness allow us to have fluff yes (laughs) (laughs) so are there any other key pieces about your work. I know you have so many other books. Any other key pieces you'd like to share with us? Not necessarily. I mean, feel free to browse my collection and and let me know if you do find those themes coming through. And I would love to hear if if my books do resonate with you or if they do help you feel a little bit, you know, less outside and a little bit more included and how the, the familiar values resonate with you as well. I keep... I keep thinking as we've been talking through this conversation, I think Quacks needs to change to helping families laugh together, heal together and eat together because (laughs) we keep going off on foodie tangents. So that might be an update (laughs) for the next print run. (laughs) The next print run, something about food and fairy bread. Um, So Stephanie, thank you so much for the delightful conversation today. I am so excited, as I'm sure our listeners are, to see and read your book, Quacks Like a Duck. And just to recap, a few of, because we know Stephanie has other books out there, she is also the author of Lewis and Tabitha, Five Sisters, Agzatopolis, Day to ZZZ, you'll have to correct me on that one. And of course, Quacks Like a Duck. So please tell me a little bit about the one Axolotus. Please help me there. Oh, oh good. Axolotls in English anyway. It's an extremely silly board book that takes axolotls, which are a real animal. I didn't make them up. They're an amphibian native to a lake in Mexico. I highly recommend Googling them if you've never seen one. And it's a really fun board book that basically takes anthropomorphized axolotls from morning all through their daily routine to bedtime. And it's full of really bad puns. And every I like time, puns. Yeah, I know. So you are not alone. Every time I take it to an event, it just sells and sells and sells. People love it. It's so funny. It's usually, so it's meant to be aimed at young kids, but teenagers and dads <laughs> love this book. They love the book. Buy it for themselves. So if you'd like a little bit of fun, that one's absolutely That's awesome. a good one. I'm yes. going to spell <laughs> this because I have never seen an axolotls and I never knew how to pronounce it or read it. So here we go. A-X-O 
A-X-O-L-O-T-I-S. Axolotus day to Z-Z-Z. Okay, we have to, listeners, that sounds like a must-have. So thank you. Stephanie, where can our where can our listeners find you? Absolutely. I'm very much online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Steph Campisi or on my website at www.stephaniecampisi.com. And of course, on the familiar website, if you just search my name, my books will pop up. Excellent. Thank you so much for the delightful, delightful time today. I've had such fun. I'm sure our listeners have as well. And so listeners, the spelling on Stephanie's name is S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. And her last name is C-A-M-P-I-S-I, Stephanie Campisi. So thanks again, Stephanie. It has been a joy and a true pleasure. Such a delight. And I've had my, my loads of laughter for the day. So thank you. Thank you. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. And if you'd like more wonderful Familius content, such as the lovely book we discussed today, Quacks Like a Duck, be sure to visit us at Familius.com where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time we can and we will make the world a happier place. Thanks for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine, shine, shine as only you can do.